entering into a time where we're opening your word. We just pray that it would speak powerfully. We trust that it will. Um, but that you would make us more aware of your spirit and open our ears to what you have to say to us tonight, Lord, so that our lives look different when we walk out of here. God, we want to be more like you. And so we just pray that over the people here um, and over ourselves. We love you so much. It's in your perfect name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, guys, holy smokes, it looks different from this side. Wow. Turn to somebody next to you, give them a high five, and answer this question. If you could be a superhero, who would you be? Sweet. All right, friends. Hopefully you either found something new out or you made a new friend, right? That's great. And if there's nothing better than, like, turning to somebody you don't know and you say Iron Man and they say Iron Man and you're like, Yes! Like, automatic connection, man. We are friends. Uh, myself, I am uh, personally very partial to Nick Fury. He is, like, I, he is. He's one of my uh, favorite uh, superheroes. I think it's because I like the idea of the, Nick looks a little wide in this picture. That's on me. Uh, Nick, like, gets to stand at the 10,000-foot view Right, and kind of deploy other superheroes who are really good at what they do, but then he does his own secret missions on the side. That just sounds kind of like an awesome superhero way to do things. And I've always kind of wanted to be Samuel L. Jackson. I don't know why that is. But you can draw your own conclusions about that. I'll just let that go. Right? We love a good superhero story, right? Uh, the New Avengers movies, the Justice League, which I am so excited is going to be coming out. Right? We love these kind of stories. We love them. Right? We can't get enough stories like this. And I want to suggest uh, tonight, as we enter into some conversation about God's story, that we love those stories at, at a deep level. Because we all know something about the world isn't right. We love these stories, the idea that someone somewhere has the power to change the situation, no matter how bleak it may be, gives us hope, doesn't it? Every good adventure story has it, whether it's the Avengers, if you love the Avengers, because I'm going to go through a whole list. If this is your genre, you just give me a little shout out, okay? The Avengers, for some Avengers fans, Justice League, Star Wars. Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, don't they? I mean, at the base level, there is someone, probably the last person you'd expect, rises up and they save the day. I want to say the Bible is full of stories like that. Full of stories of deliverance from evil. Stories of the least likely people empowered to do impossible things. And the most beautiful thing about it is that they're all true stories. That these stories of real life people whom God uses when he steps in to deliver from evil. The Bible is just full of these kind of stories. In fact, I've said to some folks, it, I don't have this authority and no one should ever give it to me. But if I did, if I could rebrand the Bible from, uh, the Bible literally means the book. 
It's kind of powerful and awesome by itself, right? But if I were rebranding it for marketing purposes, I would love to call it the Chronicles of Yahweh and His Liberators, right? It's just so, it's so epic. The stories are so epic. And all of these little stories that we find along the way in Scripture point to a big story, a story of God's absolutely relentless pursuit to deliver His world and His people. And we want to see that together, which is why we're doing this series on reading Moses, seeing Jesus, to get a, a view of that big story from the vantage point of the smaller story. So tonight, the, small, the, the smaller story within the big story that we're going to look at is in Exodus chapter 12. If you have a Bible, turn to that. If you have it on your phone, turn to that. If you have it on your iPad, turn to that. Or if you want a hard copy, raise your hand, and we will pass one out to you. If you want a hard copy of the Bible, raise your hand. Right, we'll pass some out. Just leave your hand up. We'll, we can't really walk to you right now, but we'll try to pass some down. Uh, and as those are coming and you're turning to Exodus 12, let me just take a, make a note of where we are in the story because Ben left off in chapter 2 last week of Exodus. And as Ben mentioned, Moses was born during a time of terrible evil. Hebrew people living in Egypt had moved there as immigrants years ago. But as they grew in number and began to be perceived as a threat to Egyptian society and Egyptian culture, a new pharaoh rose to power and he established a policy of systematic oppression and population control among the Hebrew people, what we would today call war crimes. And yet, through the intervention of God, in, right in the middle of that heinous reality, Via an act of civil disobedience from, of all people, Pharaoh's own daughter, God steps in and he raises up a little boy who we call Moses. And Moses grew up and he began to realize his privilege and the injustice of it all. And he saw the injustice of his society and he thinks that he can make a difference. He begins to develop uh, what he imagines uh, perhaps as his own version of the Antifa movement. And he goes and he murders an Egyptian soldier. And what happens so frequently when we take violence into our own hands, it blows up in his face. And instead of becoming the deliverer that he imagined himself to be, he runs away and he tries to forget the whole thing. But God doesn't forget. It's one of the things about God. He's not forgetful. He hasn't forgotten about his people. He hasn't forgotten about Moses. God's in chapter 3, God says he has seen the misery of his people. He has heard their cry for deliverance. He has compassion, like God's heart swells with a desire to bring them freedom. And so the chapter 3 says, God came to the rescue. And he sends Moses back to Egypt. Now, I'm not, I don't want to get lost in the, the forest for the trees here, but I just want to take a note that, the su that suffering of the oppressed is a major theme in Scripture, has significant implications for how we as Christians engage human trafficking, immigration policy, refugees, and global economics. Now, I'm just going to put that up on the shelf, and we can talk about that later if you want to. Because the point of the story, and this story, is God sends Moses back to Egypt, back to set free Pharaoh's Egyptian uh, slave labor force, he says, God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, <laughs> no. 
And then Moses continues to come back and says, God is going to bring judgment on you if you don't let his people go. And Pharaoh says, no. And so God sends nine plagues on Egypt, right? If you ever saw, I mean, some of you, you know, VeggieTales. People still watch VeggieTales? Y'all still like those, right? Y'all know the story of little Mo, right? God sends plagues on Egypt, but they're not nearly as playful as they are in, in the VeggieTale version. Try, and he, God is telling Pharaoh, you will let my people go. And Pharaoh is saying, no, I will not until we get to chapter 12 when God says, I'm going to send one more plague. And Pharaoh will let my people go. Here's what God says, chapter 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel, on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. And if any household is too small for a whole lamb, they have to share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You're to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animal you choose must be a year-old male without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then, they are to take some of the blood, put it on the sides and the tops of the door frame of the houses where they eat the lambs. And that same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water. Roast it over a fire. Head, legs, internal organs. Don't leave any of it until morning. If some's left until morning, you have to burn it. This is how you're to eat it. With your cloak tucked in your belt, sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, eat it in haste. This is the Lord's Passover. And on that same night, I will pass through Egypt, and I will strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see it, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. This is a defining moment in the history of Moses and the Hebrew people. The nation of Israel begins here. God literally, I mean, literally reset the calendar based on the Passover event that led to their freedom. It's the 4th of July and the Emancipation Proclamation all at once. Freedom. It is a decisive act of deliverance where God transforms Israel's identity and their purpose. After generations of oppression, God breaks the chains and he reminds them of who they really are and who they're going to be. Not slaves of Pharaoh. Not builder of pyramids. No, children of the king of kings. And builders 
of a new kingdom. But each household of the Hebrew people who lived in Egypt had to respond to this instruction from the Lord. Each of them had to respond by trusting God's promise. They'd, most of them had been living in, uh, as slaves for generation. This was a generational reality. And here comes Moses with a word from the Lord. And they had to trust God's promise. They had to embrace a new identity that God was giving them in this moment. And they had to follow God's plan. And how many, I mean, you hear that story and like, wow, God's really specific about this. And they had to follow that plan. And when they did, they got a front row seat to the salvation of God. And yet, as amazing and life-changing as Passover was, the story's not complete. Passover was only the beginning of God's deliverance. He wasn't done because so many people still live in slavery. In fact, every person you know and have ever known, including the one you see in the mirror, is living under a regime of oppression and destruction. They are the twin gods of Egypt that we find in verse 12. Idolatry and injustice. The gods of Egypt that the Lord brings judgment on in his Passover. Idolatry is not loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And it inevitably Every single time in human history, it inevitably leads to the second thing, which is injustice. That's not loving your neighbor as you love yourself, but instead trying to be their master. We've all experienced it, right? We've all been victims of somebody trying to be our master, trying to control us, manipulate us, use us for their own purposes. Sometimes it seems harmless, right? There's the guy next to you in class that is always asking you, hey, can you take notes for me? Because I don't want to come to class and have to listen to this boring lecture. Do you think I want to come to class and listen to the boring lecture? I mean, no. Sometimes it seems small and we're willing to live with it. Sometimes it's more malicious like the sexual assault that happened on our campus. That's the one that got reported. We know that there are more. Sometimes it's abuse that you grew up with. Sometimes it's your roommate stealing your identity. We've all been victims of the oppressive power of idolatry and, and injustice. And we've all been perpetrators. We've all tried to manipulate other people for our own end. We tell ourselves it's harmless, right? But we know if somebody did that to us, it'd feel like a shot in the chest. Other times it's more blatant and we know it, but we ignore it. Like, for example, we know from research that large percentages of internet pornography come as a direct result of human trafficking. But that hasn't stopped a lot of us in this room, men and women, from consuming it. Or how about another example? 
tribalism. In all of its many forms, whether that be racism, sexism, xenophobia, in all of its ways, the foundational principle of all of those things is I and my people are more valuable than you and your people. We've all been perpetrators. We've all been victims. Which is why we all have this longing for justice, somebody to make it right. And we all deserve it. We deserve to be judged. That's why the Passover event, as important, as significant as it was for Israel, is just the beginning of God's deliverance. God had something much bigger planned. So God who sees the oppression caused by idolatry and injustice in our world, God who hears the cry of the oppressed right now, today, and cares deeply about each and every one of us, came to the rescue in Jesus Christ. Jesus, like Moses, born under an oppressive regime. Jesus, like Moses, uh, had an attempt on his life as an infant. Jesus, like Moses, was saved by an unexpecting woman that God raised up for that very purpose. Jesus, like Moses, sent to deliver his people from slavery. But Jesus, unlike Moses, not a deliverer of a nation, a deliverer for the world. Jesus says it. Himself, right in John chapter 3, he says God loved the world so much that he sent his only son so that the world may believe in him and whoever believes in him would not perish, would not be judged, but would receive deliverance, eternal life. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. He sent his son into the world to save the world through him. And unlike the original Passover, where the blood of the lamb would be the sign of God's deliverance. In Passover 2.0 with Jesus, he himself would be the Passover lamb. He himself would be killed. His blood would be what covers our sin. Jesus actually makes this connection directly. We We don't have to dream this stuff up. When Jesus, just before he's arrested, tried, and crucified, he sits down and he has the Passover meal with his disciples in Matthew 26, where he says to them, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and he, after he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. I'm the lamb. This is your food. Then he took the cup after he had given thanks, and he gave it to them, saying, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus establishes a new and greater covenant than the original Passover because he would be the true lamb of God. He broke the chains of adultery and injustice. The crucifixion and resurrection of Christ, the defining moment of human history. It resets the calendar. And in the face of all the injustice that goes on in our world, The reality that Christ died, that he rose again, that he's coming again with justice is where we place our hope. But just like the people of Israel at the first Passover, we have to make a decision. A decision to receive that deliverance for ourselves. To trust God's promise. To embrace God's identity 
and to follow God's ways. So just a couple of questions that I would want uh, invite you to meditate on tonight. As you, as, however God is speaking to you uh, through his word in this message. Will you trust God's promise that he is rescuing the world through his son Jesus Christ? And will you let him break the chains of idolatry and injustice that have power in your life? Will you embrace God's new identity? Let him tell you who you are instead of always trying to figure it out. Will you follow Christ's plan for your life? The plan of freedom to be, receive it and be part of his liberation force in the world. Which for, mo- for all of us is going to mean asking forgiveness for the ways that we've been participants in idolatry and injustice, in committing to follow his ways in the world. So as the band is going to come back up, I'm going to offer a prayer uh, for us. A prayer for us to embrace God's promise, God's identity, and God's plan. And as, av- as you are hearing the word uh, of Christ tonight, and as you're hearing from the Holy Spirit If you're hearing in this, God calling you to respond, I would just invite you to do that. I'm going to pray three different, very brief prayers. One, about receiving his promises of salvation. Two, for receiving the new identity that Christ has for us. And three, for receiving uh, the new life, the way of life that Christ calls us to. And if as the Spirit's been working in you uh, in the last little bit, you feel like that's my prayer. That's the prayer that God is calling me to respond to. Uh, We're just going to leave a few seconds of silence in between each one of those prayers. So that if you want to respond personally to that, you can just do it quietly right there in your seat. You don't have to, you know, jump up or raise your hand or any of those things. You can just say it quietly in your seat. But as, as God is prompting you, by his spirit, you want to make that prayer your own, I invite you to do that. Because the, the promise, the promise is for you to come, receive Christ's deliverance, receive the new identity, and follow him on the way of freedom and be a part of his force in the world. Pray with me. Father, I trust that you love the world so much that you love every person in this room so much that you sent your son Jesus to be our Passover lamb because people like us need to be saved from ourselves. And so we invite your grace, your blood to wash over our lives.
And Father, we want to be the people you've created us to be. We want our identity to be centered on who you've created us to be in your image as your child and not on all of the other voices that try to label us and make us fit into the categories. And so we ask, imprint your identity on us. And finally, Father, we ask that you would forgive us where we have not loved you and where we have not loved others. We commit our life to following the ways of Jesus. So please fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we have the capacity to live the life of freedom and to join in your mission. To you, Jesus, who is able to do immeasurably more than anything we can ask or imagine, to you be glory in your church and through your people into the world for all generations to come. Amen.